said? Yeehaw! <laughs> well, isn't it good to be here this morning? Real quickly, let me tell you about a few things. I'm sure that Miss Judy's going to fill you in details at the end, but this week starts our Summerfest? Uh, fun Fest. And what we're trying to do is just reach our community. Anybody wants to stop by, just things to do, games to play, all this kind of stuff. Yes, I know it's going to be 145 degrees, but we've got good air conditioners. So just, uh, but there'll be things indoors and outdoors. So come on out and join with us. Hopefully, we're going to meet new people in our community and invite them to church and get them to visit with us. And so that's the purpose of all that we're doing this week. But uh, come on out and join with us. There's a lot of things. Guys, well, guys and gals, if you want to. Tomorrow night, if you didn't see the big trailer sitting out here, that is a tent, a big tent. We need help. I didn't hear any amens. <laughs> Let me try that again. We need help. <laughs> if you can help put up the tent. Now, I know a lot, of you, a lot of y'all are past soldiers, and I know you've got to have experience putting up tents. That's why I don't have to be here, because I haven't had <laughs> But it's uh it's it is a it's a sixty by eighty tent and it it Rocky went Rocky and Stacy went and got it last week and it's a big one and so how many people we need do you say about three hundred minimum <laughs> now it uh, it says about ten people but uh, we'd love to have your help if you can help us shouldn't take very long at six o'clock tomorrow night and again I'm sure at the end of the service Miss Judy's going to tell you a bunch of other stuff to go along with it anyway but. If you would, get your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. Now, this is a passage that I went back in my record. I think I've used this passage before, but this is one of my favorite stories out of Jesus' life in all the Bible. And it's, I guess the best way to put it is, title is, Have You Brought Your Friends to Jesus? Now, let me, before we read the passage, let me go a little bit farther. One of the biggest problems with Christians is we don't share the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, we are told to explicitly by Jesus. He tells us to go out and tell people about Jesus, about him. We don't do that very well. Now, I'm speaking of the Baptist church. I'm sure the rest of them do a great job on it, but I think we're all in the same boat, honestly. We're too selfish with the gospel. I heard a story about a man who was taking a course in first aid. He attended the classes. He read the books. He was learning a lot about providing medical aid on a quick notice and those in need. One evening, he told his class he actually had the opportunity to use his first aid training. He said, I heard a terrible crash out in front of my house. I opened the door, and a car had hit a tree right in my front yard and said, there were people hurt. He said, I saw the car had run into a large tree. I could tell that the driver was hurt. It wasn't a pretty sight. But because of my training, I knew exactly what to do. I sat on the porch, put my head between my knees so I wouldn't faint. Now, in comparison, that's sort of what we as a church are doing. We as churches are doing, not just ours, just about every one of them. It reminds me of many Christians. We know the cure but we're only applying it to ourselves. It only goes to us. We don't want to share anybody with anybody else out there. We're using our knowledge to help. We're, we aren't using our knowledge to help others. Today, we're going to read about four unselfish guys. Now, again, you've heard this story probably all of your life, but this is one of the most tremendous stories in the Bible because not only does it tell us about these four guys and what they did and how they did it and so forth, but it also challenges us to do somewhat of the same things. And so there's many lessons we can get from this chapter, or this uh, passage we're fixing to read here in just a moment. It, uh, you know, today we're going to read about this, these four friends. They had a friend that was paralyzed. He could not move. He'd been paralyzed from young, very young age. He could not do anything for himself. He had to depend on other people. And these four friends of his came over, talked to him, probably picked on him a little bit, cut up with him, just like young people do. And he just, they were good friends. But then they heard something about a man named Jesus. And they began to talk to themselves and say, well, you know what? If we could just get him to Jesus, 
that would change everything. So we see their faith, first of all. They begin to see if we could only get him to this guy named Jesus. They didn't know who Jesus was. They just heard stories about him and what he had done and how he had healed the lame and so forth. And they said, if we can just get him to them, to him, then he can heal him. It's one of my favorite stories in Jesus' life again. I think I preached it about a year and a half, two years ago. Not the same one, but hopefully change around a little bit today. But it's, it's just a tremendous story. But it's not just about that. It's about so many other things that we'll see here in a few moments. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26, and see what it does. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Begin, let's stand together. I'm sorry. Now watch what it says. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that the, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Did you catch that? He's just reading. He said, there's teachers and Pharisees here, and the power of the Lord was there to even teach them. Then he goes on. Then behold, men brought a man on a bed who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. When they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the mist before Jesus. Look at verse 20. This is one of the most amazing verses I've come across. When he saw their faith, he said to the he said to him, "Man, your sins are forgiven you." And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, "Who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone?" But Jesus perceived their thoughts. He answered and said to them, "Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk?" but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go home. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been laying on, and departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were, amazed, well, they were all amazed and they were glorified they glorified God and were filled with fear and saying, We have seen strange things today. Let's go to the Lord. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this strange picture here that we've drawn. And, Lord, we want to see strange things take place at Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. Lord, we want to see you do things that we cannot even ex explain to somebody. And, Lord, I believe this passage right here gives us that desire that we would see things happen, that lives would be changed, people's lives would be changed. And, Lord, it might just this week or maybe the week that we reach people in our community we haven't reached before, and we see strange things that take place. Open our hearts, Lord. Open our, our minds that we'd be receptive to what you have for us this morning. But, Lord, I also ask you to keep us this way this week as we do this fun festival and try to reach men and women, boys and girls, teenagers this week for our church. Lord, go with us through the service. Thank you for this passage. Guide and direct our thoughts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I've got a request from one or two of you. I left my watch home today. So about 2.30, would you all motion me or something other? Who was laughing? Who was that? Oh, I, I thought it came from this section over here. So. <coughs> This is the story of it. Let's go a little bit farther in the story because there's several things we can learn from this. That what? Oh, <laughs> that is not called for. Let's just go home. <laughs> Tell you what, I've never been to church where I got heckled before, but I'm at one now. Help me. I need your I need your help, so 
I'm going to get the biggest guys in there to be my bodyguards around here. <laughs> the Pharisees and teachers all who, of all the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this who speaks blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus perceived their thoughts and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? In other words, why are you having these thoughts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven? Forgiven you are to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know, no, watch these words. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth. Now that's very important. We'll get to it in a minute. Because remember, people today say Jesus never said that he was God. Oh, yes, he did. Right here is one of the times. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Now, what does that mean? What's he saying to us in that little passage? First of all, let me tell you, I believe that every single service we have, Jesus is right here with us. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. I believe he's here. But there are people that will tell you that, no, Jesus never said he is there physically. He's there with us. Yes, he did. This is one of the times. He says, I tell you, rise up, take up your bed to your house, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took what he had been lying on, and departed to his house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they were all filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Well, yeah, when Jesus comes in and moves, you're going to see some strange things happening. I mean, it's not going to be as usual. Try to picture Jesus as he was sitting in this small room. Now, this, again, this is one of my favorite, it probably is my favorite Jesus story of all the Bible. But try to picture, here he is sitting in this small room. Let's just say it's this size right here, but it's packed full of people. There is no room. Everybody's standing. You can't sit down. There's no place to sit. This room would be packed out. But outside the doors would be going. Going outside the doors would be going. It was that many people came to here. They would be lined up at the windows looking in, trying to see what's going on. They occupied every place, sitting and standing. We're told that many of these peoples were the religious mafia, the official teachers of the law, the ones that opposed Jesus, what it bears down to. These Pharisees traveled all the way from Jerusalem just to check out this renegade preacher named Jesus. Suddenly, in the midst of this teaching session, now, again, remember, it's packed full of people. There is no room to try to go out the back door. You can't get out. It's too many people coming in the doors. They're trying to get in and hear. It is totally full, shoulder to shoulder, no place to lean against, just somebody else behind you. And here we have, all of a sudden, this noise starts happening up above. Now, remember how they built their houses, folks. They had straw and things, and then they'd lay the, they'd lay the tiles down and lay things over, just layer after layer, to try to keep the moisture from coming in, the rain and so forth, and all the other things that come with it. And so, in the midst of this teaching session, pieces of straw start twiddling down. People notice it. You're going to notice that if that happens one day. You'll, you'll notice that happening in our building. These Suddenly, it began to fall through in pieces. Now, little pieces of tile probably begin to fall. Now, Jesus is standing down here right in front, and these things start falling on him, on the floor around him and all this stuff. Remember, there's also a stretcher that's fixing to come down. So it's getting to be a almost strange things that are happening at this church. Things began to fall on Jesus and on those seated around him at the front. I'm sure that everyone wondered what is going on. We're having a worship service. We're having a church service. What's going on? What's taking place up there? Now, this wasn't a small roof. This was up a little ways. And all of a sudden, I can see two or three tiles that were pushed out of the way and maybe fell to the ground, fell to the floor. And all of a sudden, one of these boys stuck his face through there. And looking down, that's pretty strange in a church service. 
But watch what takes place. The hole began to get bigger and bigger. Finally, it became a big hole in the roof. And then the next thing the people saw was in this top of this roof, a stretcher began to come down. And a young man was on this stretcher as he lowered him down. Can you imagine what the people were thinking then? What is going on? Now, let's put that in, ter- in context of our modern-day churches. Can you imagine in a church, let's just take our church, for instance, if that happened during a service, first thing we'd probably think was, who's going to pay for this hole? You better turn the air conditioners off because you're losing all the air conditioning. Probably by our reaction. be most people's reaction in some t- determined. But they watched them as they began to lower this young man down. And I'm sure because he had grown up in this area that many of the people sitting in the congregation knew him. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're going to drop him. They're going to kill him. He can't walk. He can't get up. He can't even hardly move. They have to turn him over. It was a serious situation. And all this mess they were making. And then all of a sudden, I can see all four of those boys stick their head through there. And they had smiles on their face from one side to the other. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there were people complaining in the congregation. But yet, look what they just did. They had a friend they cared so much about. They were willing to go to extremes to get him to Jesus. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you know any friends of yours, family members, friends, acquaintances, that you know without a shadow of a doubt if something would happen to them today, they would spend eternity in hell? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just raise it mentally. (laughs) I do. And I can stand here and tell you some of them I've never told about Jesus. I've never tried to get them to Jesus. My friends. Now, we haven't seen each other in years and years, but they're still friends. I talk to them on Facebook a lot of days. See what the story's really about. We've got everybody sitting around this church watching what's going on. And these four young men, we could call them teenagers probably, love their friends so much that they went beyond what was required to get him to Jesus. If you go back and read the story in the other uh, uh, books, you'll find that they went down the street where the house was. They couldn't even get close to the house. It was too crowded. They went back, and people said, oh, just forget it. We can't get in there. And they wouldn't give up. They finally went through the back, the garden. They had steps going up to the roof of the house. And this one says, hey, I've got an idea. Let's carry him up to the roof and lower him, lower him down. Now, I don't think the guy on the stretcher thought that was such a good idea. But he didn't have a choice in the world. But I want you to see their determination to get this friend of theirs to Jesus. Now, picture your friend in that same situation. Would you go to the extremes that they did? I don't know. Let's move on a little bit. I love the part that says, they got him down there, they lowered him down. Jesus looked up, moved by the faith of those four friends. He said, be healed, young man. No, that's not what he said. Although that's what everybody expected him to say. Here's what he said. Jesus most always does the unexpected. He said to this paralyzed man. Now, they lowered him down the floor. He's laying right in front of Jesus. This is him laying right here, and this is Jesus standing right before him. He doesn't say, you're healed. He says something that almost seems like it's totally out of place. Your sins are forgiven you. Not to this guy on the stretcher. To those four guys that were lowering down. He said to them, your sins are forgiven. Now, what was he, what was it, what's he saying to us? Man, your sins are forgiven. 
what happens next tells us a lot about Jesus and can tell us a lot about ourselves, really. From this great story, I want to show you five powerful principles that we each one need to have. We can apply to our lives. Number one, the best thing you can do for a person is to bring them to Jesus. Let me repeat that. The best thing you can do for a person is to bring them to Jesus. These four unnamed heroes, we don't know their names, they had a friend with a need. They believed that if Jesus could help their friend, and that was enough for their motivation. So they took it upon themselves to bring their friend to Jesus. He couldn't get there. He's paralyzed. He has been from a young, very young age. He cannot do anything for himself. He has to depend on somebody to feed him, depend on somebody to clean him, depend on somebody to help him in every possible way. This guy couldn't do anything for himself. But thank goodness he had four friends that said, but I know somebody that can. If we can get him there, he can see what Jesus can do. Let me ask you a few personal questions. Now, don't answer them out loud, but do you have any friends, any family members, any classmates, any work associates who you know they need to get to Jesus? Do you care about them, really? Do you really believe that Jesus can make a difference in their lives? If you do, will you do whatever it takes to bring them to Jesus? Oh, that's a whole different story there. They don't go to church. They don't want to go to church. If we cared about enough and showed them, it would be. If you see a hungry man who needs food, what do we do? Buy him a hamburger, feed him a meal. That's a good thing. If you see someone who's cold without a coat and you've got three or four in the closet, it'd be nice to give them a coat. If you meet somebody who is troubled and needs someone to listen to them to talk out the problems in their lives, you ought to be willing to listen to them. All these things are good things to do. But I want to emphasize that the very best thing that a person can do is bring them to Jesus. How do you do that? Well, first of all, if you're a very good friend, they ought to see Jesus in you. They ought to see Jesus exemplified by the way you act. And I started off telling you that I've got friends, and again, these are friends from years and years back and so forth, over the years, and I've never witnessed, never tried to share Jesus. And how I remember that is that just the other night I was on my cell phone. Now, you know, we were, I'm not technologically inclined. I didn't need that. But I do operate my cell phone. I get on Facebook. I like to read some of the stuff. A lot of it's, I don't even want to fool with it. But I've talked to several of my high school friends, friends that I knew before high school, friends that I knew after high school, and so forth. And I was thinking last week as I was trying to get something ready, but I've never said anything about Jesus to them. Oh, I may have put one of the little clips on there that, you know, show a little nice little saying and so forth. Uh, several of them know that I'm a preacher now. Some of them are shocked, but it, no, they still know it. But I've never taken the time to individually say, hey, while I'm talking to you, let me ask you a question. And that began to bother me, and it should have. And I hope it bothers you too. Because we've got people we all know, family members, friends, community. We know people around here, and we're quite sure They've never known Jesus. Let's move along. We will run out of time. The very best thing you can do for a person is to bring them to Jesus. Introduce you. You can't make him take them. You can't make him accept Jesus Christ, but you can sure take them to him. Why? Because a hungry man will be hungry again tomorrow or the next day. A cold person will need another cold after that one wears out. But Jesus can meet a need that lasts forever. It can change your life. You see, the paralyzed man was unable to come to Jesus on his own. Someone had to bring him. Every day you're surrounded by people who are spiritually blinded, spiritually bound. They can't 
come to Jesus on their own. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us the devil has blinded their eyes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Bible tells us they can't see the need for Jesus. So they've got to see that need somewhere else. And it ought to come from our friends who are Christians. If you don't bring friends to Jesus, they probably won't get there on their own. There's just a pretty good chance of it. Are you willing to bring your friends to Jesus? It's the very best thing you can do for any person. By now, you're probably thinking, well, sure, those four guys could bring their friend to Jesus, but he was right there in Capernaum. But how can I bring my friends to Jesus? After all, he's resurrected. He's in heaven. I can bring them. I can. How can I bring them to him? A good question. Here's the answer. It's amazing how simply Jesus makes it. By bringing a person to the body of Christ, the church that works today. If you bring somebody who's never been in church in their life, they come with you to Sunday school. What do they hear about? Well, let's hope they hear about Jesus. I mean, I'm confident our Sunday school teachers teach that every week. If they bring them to our service, what do they hear singing about Jesus? If they bring them to a preaching service, whether it's myself or somebody else filling in, they hear preaching about Jesus. In other words, the seed is going to be planted, whether they make a move that day or not. Our job is to bring them and then to share with them how Jesus changed our lives. These four friends of Jesus didn't try to give this paralyzed buddy of theirs a psychobabble advice. They just brought him and presented him to Jesus and left him there, if you remember the story. They just lowered him down. They were still on top of the roof. They were watching from up there. They just left him there all by himself on that bed he was carried on. You can do the same thing today. Jesus is alive and well and living in his church. Let me say that again. Jesus is alive and well and living in his church. Before we came to this church about, well, this happened about 10, 12 years ago, maybe longer than that. We were, I, I think I may have show, shared this, but I want to share it again because it's such a neat story. We were in Bonham, Texas. I had a church in Bonham, and we had a softball team. I was playing on it and so forth. And it was our game that night, and I was uh, sitting, I think we were home team, and I was sitting in the dugout. And Judy come over with a young lady, and she said, do you remember this girl? And I I didn't have a clue who she was. And I said, no, I'm afraid I don't. Of course, then she told me she had been like 12 years old when she was at our church over there, or maybe a little bit young. I don't remember the age. But to make a long story short, and I won't tell it all, but it just this young lady grew up in one of the churches we pastored. She's in our youth group. She did all the activities with us, children's group and all the different things. She came every week by herself. Her family would not come to church. But the story that I want to tell you is, this is the great part. Judy called her name. I still didn't remember, <laughs> to be honest with you. She called her name, and she said she wanted to, she wanted to, she saw us and wanted to say hi to us. And I said, well, good to see you, and so forth. I still walked off thinking, I don't have a clue who this. But she said something. She said, I want to tell you all. And when I was at South Made Baptist Church, wasn't it? But I came to know Christ because of y'all's influence. And I thought, Wow. We did do something good one time. Here she was. And then she went on telling me that she's married now, and I think had two kids and so forth. And she said, by the way, my husband has just surrendered to be a Baptist preacher. I started to say, oh, talk him out of it quick. <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't say that, but it just, but it was so neat. And the neat thing is that one of these days when we get to heaven, I'm going to remember that young lady's name. And I'm going to remember those things. Now, did I do anything? No. It was just the church she was part of. It wasn't me particularly. We just happened to get to be involved in it. But here's a person that's going to be in heaven one day because God gave me the opportunity to stand behind the pulpit and preach. I do not remember her. I'll be honest with you. 
there were going to be, let me change that. Let's switch the scene a little bit. Let's go back to that room inside, below. Now, these guys are up on the roof. They're looking down, observing the sign. Jesus looked up as that roof was been mantled, dismantled. He could have said, hey, y'all stop that. You're tearing up this building. What do you think you're doing? But he didn't. He knew exactly what they were doing. All of a sudden, that bed, I imagine they had four ropes tied to each corner of it. I guess that guy that was on the bed was thinking, oh, don't drop me now. So they were lowering him down little by little. Did you catch again what he said to them? He didn't look at the guy on the stretcher. He looked at the four men and says, because of your faith, he's going to be made whole. You see, when we reach out and try to bring friends to Christ, it makes a difference. A long ways to go. People matter to God more than buildings do. I know this building is important to us, but folks, getting people inside of it is more important to Jesus. We can build a new building, but we can't build new lives sometimes. Could you imagine what would happen in this room if all of a sudden that same scene would take place? I hope the reaction would be is, praise God, what's he fixing to do next? <laughs> but probably most times that wouldn't be the actions. We have a beautiful building. However, we've got to understand that the value of one soul who needs Jesus is worth more than a hundred buildings put together. Jesus asked the question in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? Or, can, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If you could put a price tag on one eternal soul, one of your friends, without Jesus, what would that price be? I need to make a phone call. I need to write a letter. I need to send a text. Whatever it is. The Bible says the price tag in Jesus' eyes will be priceless. We're getting so involved in buildings that we forget Jesus is interesting in building his church. I'll never forget when we were at Ector, up bottom, we took a mission trip one summer, probably 20 of us. Went up to Colorado, and this church was needing help building a building. And we had building guys, uh, construction guys in our church, so they were willing to go. So we just loaded up and went up there and spent a week, I believe it was, and uh, did some building. But this sign was put on the front. Now, this church is not finished. It's still a long way to go. But somebody put this sign on what would be the front door. And I've never, I jotted it down. I've remembered all these years. Well, I hadn't remembered. I remember I had a note of it, but. Building a house of worship while Jesus builds his church. The church is people. Jesus died for people, not for a building. I like that. Church buildings aren't shrines of holy sites. They're tools we use to reach people to worship God. Some of you grow vegetable gardens. Some of you use a shovel to turn the soil or whatever tool you use. I'm not a gardener, so I don't know. You know, I'm finding out I don't know much really when it comes to it. I've never been a soldier. I've never been this. I've never been that. But my dad grew a garden, and he had good gardens. I tried, but I had more weeds than gardens. This building we're in is nice. It's ex it's expensive. It's effective tool that makes turning the soil of Jesus over so people can come to here. And just like you'd plow a field out there, you turn that soil over, get that fresh soil up the top, get that nutrients up at it. That's exactly what this church is. This church building cannot save a single person. Guess what? Neither can you or me. But when we glorify God in this building, it begins to radiate Jesus in every part. If we ever think the most important thing we can do is to build buildings, we've missed what God desires for us. In fact, if you look back the first 300 years of the Christian church, most there were never was church buildings until after that. 
The greatest need a person has is forgiveness. Sometimes you hear people talk about lowering our, your expectations in the church. Well, you are just so strict on these rules. You need to lower them a little bit. In this miracle, there were four men who literally lowered their expectations in front of Jesus. They used ropes and physically lowered him down from a ceiling at least that high, probably higher. When these four crazy roof rippers lowered their friend in front of Jesus, everyone was waiting to see how he would, what he would do and say. I'm sure there was a moment in their thoughts when they were waiting to see what he'd say, and they said, oh, he's fixing to get those guys. And then the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, not the one here, their faith. He's the one with the needs, their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, I believe he saw the faith of those four young men, four friends, as well as the faith of that paralyzed man on that mat, on that bed. He was helpless. He looked at him and says, man, your sins are forgiven. That man never asked for forgiveness of sins. Why did he do that? Let's go a little farther. Forgiven. Who said anything about forgiveness? Those four guys didn't ask for forgiveness for doing what they did. That guy sure didn't ask for forgiveness on that mat. Everyone else there thought his greatest need was physical healing, but not according to Jesus. Jesus is able to look beyond the surface, below the surface, and determine the real problem of the things that bother us so much. This man wasn't a paralytic because he was a sinner. We're all sinners, and whatever our physical condition is, we need forgiveness. The first word that Jesus spoke from the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't look in the crowd and say, Oh, I know your sins, and I know your sins, and I know yours. That's not what he did. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is still going to heal the paralytic physically. But that's a minor miracle compared to the miracle of forgiveness. As I was trying to get this together, I wrestled with that because I thought, well, okay, what's, what is he really saying here? And then it just hit me at a moment. He's not worried about the sin of theirs. That's an easy thing for him. He's worried about the life of theirs and what they see. Divine forgiveness is the greatest miracle we can, that can ever happen to a person. I say that for several reasons. Number one, forgiveness meets the greatest need of a person, period. Forgiveness demands the highest price. It costs Jesus, his life, blood of the cross. Forgiveness lasts the longest time. Physically, healing only lasts a few years, but forgiveness lasts for eternity. Which one would you rather have now? There are many people around us, needy people around us. Some need housing. Others need food. Others need clothing. All kinds of things around here. We see poor people who need money. We see sick people who need medicine. We see confused people who need peace of mind. So many needs around us that are just so overwhelming. But the greatest need that anyone can have and everyone possesses is the need of forgiveness. Period. That's why the very best thing you can do for your friends is to bring them to Jesus. You say, well, we don't have a large church. No, but Jesus is here. They can meet Jesus. Number four, real quick. It's better to be a stretcher carrier than a sermon critic. I just had to put that one in there. As soon as Jesus spoke these words of forgiveness, some of the religious leaders, religious mafia, they were offended by those words. They questioned Jesus' authority to forgive sins. Who does he think he is? I mean, they got up, they got just riled up bad. His statement, man, your sins are forgiven. While Jesus was helping this poor man, they were sitting there thinking about Jesus being guilty of blasphemy. Did you hear what he just said? He's putting himself in God's position. Nobody can forgive sins except God. Who does this guy think he is? 
it's easy to see that there were two kinds of people there that day. The stretcher carriers and the sermon critics. Which one are you? Are you actively bringing people to Jesus? Or do you just come to church to sit and think of all the things you don't like about the church and to complain to your friends when you leave? Oh, we don't have people like that. No, we don't. Do we? Some days I can go home, head home, and we'll be driving out toward our house, and I can feel people taking bites out of me, just trying to chew me up for something I said. But let me tell you something. I've got enough to cover all the hungers you got. <laughs> it ain't going to hurt too much. No, I'm joking about that, but I'm still, yes. But let's be careful. What are we doing? Are we criticizing? Are we watching what Jesus does in the middle of us? As you're thinking about these thoughts of blasphemy, Jesus read their mind as they were thinking about them. Jesus read their minds just like he's reading mine and your mind today. Are you serious about this? Do you have a friend that you know that needs to know Jesus? Actually, I'm glad you can't read my mind, especially while I'm preaching, because if I could, I'd probably be too distracted to keep going. But Jesus' response to the sermon critics was amazing. While he was in the process of forgiving sins and healing that paralyzed man, he also delivered a powerful message to those sermon critics out in the crowd. Look at verse 23. Jesus said, ask, Jesus asked, Why are you reasoning in your heart? He follows with another question. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or, you are say, or to say, get up and walk? Then he makes an awesome statement that only Jesus could make. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Let's look at that statement for just a moment. I want to ask you to stretch your mind a little bit this morning. Who can forgive sins but God? That was a sound question. On which both the teacher of the law and Jesus agreed. Sin is a spiritual violation of God's commands, right? Since all sin is against God, He's the only one that can forgive sins, right? Question B. Jesus accepted their questions and followed with a logical argument. He says that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive earth, uh, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He was claiming that he did have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And he still does, by the way. There's really no way you can argue the fact that Jesus said these words. Matthew, Mark, Luke, record them. So here's the conclusion. Look at those three statements we just talked about. Again, some people say Jesus never claimed to be divine. But this and other passages show us clearly and logically that Jesus claimed to be God. He did too. Right out of his mouth, he said, I am. He didn't say, I am God, but he said the words confirming that he knew he was part of God. Now, you can't prove logically whether or not he was God. But you do have to accept the fact that he claimed to be God. We can't prove he was God, but he definitely said he, he was, uh, that he, uh, I got myself messed up now, claimed to be God. <laughs> the reason this is so important is because so many people try to say Jesus was a very good teacher who never claimed to be God. That's a very popular statement. You can't just say that Jesus was merely a man. He was either a liar or a lunatic when he was here on earth. If you go by that logic, the only other option is he is Lord. In other words, he did claim to be God. It's up to you to believe it or not, but it's up to us to share that. The final thing we learn from this incident real quick is the best evidence for a truth for truth is a changed life. Now, I'm looking here at this crowd, and I know several of you, and I'm not going to call any names, but I know that you're sitting here with a changed life as you sit here. 
But I've heard some of your stories. And by the way, you're looking at a changed life too. <laughs> One of the best evidences for truth is a changed life. I could have got saved, got baptized, walked out of this building, and never changed a thing in my life. I didn't want that anymore. I wanted something to change. I knew it had to change. And it was real in my life. And, folks, it's been real for however many years now, probably 40 years now. Now, am I always the perfect Christian? Absolutely not. In fact, this lady on the second row can tell you for sure. I'm not the perfect Christian. But I still look back on that day that Jesus forgave my sins. And I can remind myself that you're a changed man. We live that way. Jesus used the healing miracle as a teaching tool to demonstrate the people present that he was God. There are some things people are looking for, some kind of proof to substantiate the truth of the Bible. While logical argument may convince a few people about Jesus, the very best proof of power of Jesus is a changed life. Now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand this morning. How many of you have a changed life? That's the proof right there. I think it was unanimous. I, I didn't see any others, but if it wasn't, we can change that at the end of the service here in just a moment. This is a great story. Out of all these characters we've examined, which one do you identify with most today? Some of you like the paralyzed man. You may not be physically paralyzed, but uh, you're bound by sin. Your needs, you know your needs, and he cares. Will you present yourself to him this morning, if that's you, and say, Lord, I need a changed life in my life. If you will come before Jesus today, I can't save you. Our deacons can't save you, but Jesus can. All you have to do is call upon him. Now, we'll assist you if you want us to. Be glad to. But if there's anybody like that and you do not know Jesus personally, let me tell you, you're living on borrowed time, literally. You're either involved in bringing the people to Christ or you're basically just coming, sitting in the way of them. I'm always, and I've shared this many times before, but I, I love Charles Spurgeon. Charles, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the, to me, the greatest, one of the greatest preachers ever lived in his life. He was a pastor of Metrotop, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. In fact, uh, Miss Judy just let me read a book the other day, not, well, several weeks now, but about him. And I've just read quite a, hadn't finished it yet, but I got this out of it. In the 19th century, the 1800s, he was the pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London, during the 19th century, at its heights, it was averaging eight to 9,000 people a week. This is the 1800s. They didn't have sound system. They didn't have lights. They didn't have heat and air conditioning. Attending multiple church services every day. Out of necessity, Spurgeon often asked his regular attendees, would you all stay home next Sunday so we can have room for the people trying to come to know Christ? How would you like to be at a church? Wouldn't that be great? Hey, the pastor just asked me to stay home next week. All right. <laughs> but the reason was that people were trying to come and they didn't have room because the members took it all up. This is a true story. Let me continue. Most experts agree that there was a particular sermon that he preached in 1887 that caused the congregation to explode with growth. Many called it the turning point in the life of Metropolitan Tabernacle Church. You know what that sermon was about? It was taken from this passage right here that we just read. He preached about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who all were content to sit by as Jesus was performing the miracle. He applied it to the Christians who were also satisfied be, to be sitting by. He described an entire category of church attendees who were basically, his words, good for nothing. I didn't say that. He did. All they did was take up space, space we could have used for people trying to reach Christ. In return, 
He told those Christians who were content to sit by, he told them, don't come back to this church. Now, can you imagine a preacher telling 6,000 people not to come back to church? He did. They would become the sermon. Let me back up a minute. I'm sorry. I got off place. The sermon had such a great impact on people that throughout the week, the next week, hundreds of members of his church expressed to him they were no longer going to sit by and do nothing. They would become like the four friends who brought somebody to Jesus. When Spurgeon arrived the, arrived the next Sunday, he wasn't prepared for what he found. It was if if every member of his church had brought somebody who needed Jesus, hundreds were led to Christ that day, and it began a spiritual awakening in London that lasted for many years. You say, well, we're not a 6,000-member church. How could that ever happen to us? It started with a small handful, and it grew to that. What do you think would happen in our church if 50 of us made up our minds to be a stretcher carrier and bring somebody to Jesus? What do you think would happen? Well, that, yeah, that's a story of 1800. You could do the same thing that these four men did, the same thing that the members of Spurgeon's church did, and we can do. The question is, are we willing to do something like that? There's nothing more important you can do than to help a first person find Jesus in their life. What kind of heritage are you going to leave when you die? Will there be anyone who can point to the end of your life and say, John, jo- John Doe lives because I witnessed to him? Will there be anyone in heaven because you brought them to Jesus? That's how important this is. This week as we begin to go into this, begin to go into this uh, festival we're having, fun time we're having, we're going to have people that we have an opportunity to reach. Oh, we can hand them a hamburger or a hot dog or whatever else and just walk off. But I believe God's going to give us a harvest and people are going to come if we'll be willing to carry that stretcher to Jesus. Are we? Let's stand there. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. As we come to close this service, Lord, you know the needs of every man and every woman, boy and girl here today. Lord, we just ask that you would open their eyes, that there be anyone here that not only is not a Christian, but they're unsure of being a Christian, that, Lord, that's the most important decision they'll ever make. Sometimes, yes, Satan puts doubts in our minds, but, Lord, if we have legitimate thoughts and questions, then something's wrong somewhere. Lord, open our eyes to see. Let the rest of us be willing to help in any way we can. Our deacons will be lined on each side of the building, willing to talk to you. Anybody that needs just to talk for a few moments. We're not going to tarry long, just for a moment. Have you heard Jesus speaking to you today? He will be if you listen. In Christ's name we pray.